Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs and business people that are out there making it happen. Today, we have a guest called Dr. Steve Anticott uh, to interview, and Dr. Steve has his own show on the entrepreneur online platform, Ticker TV. It's called Fearless, and I was recently a guest on the show and thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, so I wanted to invite him to talk to him about his expertise, which is in the accounting space and as an advisor uh, for in effective in uh, tax effective investments too. He's an author, he's published three books, uh, he's got some hobby projects slash investments in his passion area. We talk about all things entrepreneurship, uh, his journey, um, in particular talking about leaving home at 13 years of age. Uh, quite an interesting story there. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode with Dr. Steve Anticott. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs that are out there making it happen. I was recently introduced to Dr. Steve Anticott uh, recently to go on to his uh, TV show or online TV show on Ticker TV called Fearless. So we've had some conversations around business and philosophies and really um, got some, uh, I guess, common thoughts around business. So I invited him on to the show to share a little bit more wisdom. Uh, he's the founder and owner of an accounting practice. He specializes in advisory and tax effective investments. He's got a PhD, an MBA, several diplomas, so he's highly qualified to talk about this topic. An author of three books and very well published in popular media like the Australian Financial Review. He's an investor, a savvy investor, and as I said, he's got his own show on the highly popular entrepreneur channel called Ticker TV. So welcome to the show, Dr. Steve. Oh, Craig, yeah, thank you. Thanks for the uh, the reciprocal uh, invitation, but that, that's one heck of a wrap, so I feel very honoured to be on. No worries. And I always like to invite the um, guests to just um, package a story a little bit to provide a bit of context to the journey and, and uh, yeah, just uh, like to hear a little bit more about your story and then we'll get into some questions. Well, you, got, you gave me a fair old wrap there from a, a point of view of uh, business investment and tax and all that sort of thing. But look, I try to give my life story as, as one of, not, not of hardship, but one of challenges. So uh, young age, I grew up low socioeconomic and uh, I left home at uh, 13. And uh, ran away from home, left home, uh, moved out and uh, semi-fostered around for a while. At the age of 15, I got thrown out of Rabin Tech. Uh, it wasn't easy to get thrown out of Rabin Tech. It was a, a tough old school. And at the age of 17, I uh, grabbed a backpack and hitchhiked my way up to the Northern Territory to, to start a new life. So, you know, I had a bit of an emotional upbringing. A lot of it was self-induced too. I was a bit of a, a rebel without a clue uh, to a degree. So, yeah, but I, I love that experience. And it gave me a broad, uh, well, broad range of people that you, you know and you can talk to on, on, on all levels. But it really fired up the entrepreneur spirit in myself. Uh, at the age of you know, 21, I'd bought a business uh, off a liquidator. It was the first time I'd, I'd learned the joy of buying businesses from liquidators. And I've certainly done that uh, on at least three or four other occasions since. Uh, buy something at fire sale value, uh, turn it around and then sell it very quickly at the age of 22, I think I was, uh, on a 700% profit and uh, returned to Melbourne and bought half a house 
and uh, decided that uh, finance was uh, my thing and started going to night school. And yeah, 12 years after starting to go to night school, I walked out with a doctorate. So uh, a little bit obsessive in nature and that I couldn't just go get a degree, had to keep going and, you know, make sure you got to the end, you know, into masters, then doctorate from there. So yeah, I mean, that, that gives you a bore. I'm just turning the volume down on my computer. Sorry about that. Yeah. But yeah, that, that sort of gives you a bit of a, um, bit of a background. A bit like sport, I've just, uh, last year, very luckily, um, stuck into the Hawaii Ironman uh, before it's been uh, cut off, no race this year. So, and that was the same thing there. Not very talented from a sporting point of view, not like you were, an elite footballer. Uh, I was always just a, a bit of an average hack, uh, but managed to, to get my way into the Hawaii Ironman through <laughs> consistent competing. And uh, yeah, got in and got the job done. So, wow. Yeah. I don't want to pump up my tyres too much, but you asked for a couple of stories, but I can assure you I'm an idiot like most other blokes out there too. So. Interesting. Like I always talk to people about challenge and adversity and you shared a little bit about the challenges you had and leaving home and fostered out and packing up. I can concur with a little bit of that, not quite because I, I did have a very loving family. I just grew up in a mining town with a thousand people and, you know, you get to year 10 and you're working in the mine or you leave home and try and get a further education so I become I would call it quite resourceful at a reasonably young age as well would you say that um you know say resourceful you know when you it's sort of you've got it's survival often for a lot of things would you say that you feel that you learn a lot of life skills at a very early age that help put you in really good stead for where you are now yeah, very, very much so. Like, you know, you, you seem aghast that someone would leave home at 13 and, uh, you know, leave school at 15 and then leave the state at 17. But, you know, in the 1980s when we were growing up, that, that wasn't that unusual. You know, there were a lot of kids like that who were, you know, grew up rough and tough and, you know, right through those primary school years and, and early teenage years. I mean, we were out on our bikes everywhere, uh, learning life, life skills, uh, so to speak. So it, did, it didn't feel that unusual you know, for the times and the social. And it, look, some of the benefits are enormous. And I think the, the best one, I was just talk, talking about this the other day, is I have this little saying, it's called hard rubbish happiness. So if I see something on the road, and I live in Bayside, Melbourne, and people throw out some really good stuff. Well, I've picked up at least, I think, three Honda lawnmowers now from, from hard rubbish. And you'd be able to, you know, take them back to the shed and fix them. And all of a sudden you've got another lawnmower. And you go, the, the only reason you've got those skills is because when we grew up, we had nothing. So anything we got was either swapped or you worked a paper round for, or indeed you found on hard rubbish happiness and, and you, you learned to fix things and, and trade and barter your way up to, to new things. So a lot of those entrepreneurial skills were, were gained early on in life. So I'm very appreciative and very thankful for my, my upbringing because you learn how to, and I hate the word, and I haven't used it in my book, I use the word side gig, but the, the word you use when you know, trying to define this is hustle. You learn how to hustle. If you wanted things, you, you had to fit, find them, fix them, trade them, because no one was going to give them to you. So I was pretty happy. Yeah, I, I can sort of share a, a story to, you know, talk a little bit about that hustle. My When I was, I think, in year seven or eight, um, my next-door neighbour was an entrepreneurial guy and he had these uh, little tourist boxes he used to make up and sell in the mine for about, I don't know, $15 each. And he thought, he worked out that I could 
earn $12, he was giving me 50 cents a box and um, I could earn $12 an hour, which is a lot of money back in the early 90s, but he didn't realise that the way my brain thought, I basically gutted our, our family shed and I set it up nearly into a mini factory. I got the whole family, there was four kids. We um, used to fold the boxes while we were watching TV overnight. I'd lay them all out and I ended up earning like, you know, $25 an hour um, for just, you know, thinking outside the square. And I think um, that type of, I guess, you know, when you're put into those situations and you've got to, like, find hard rubbish on the side of the road and turn that into gold. And I know Gary V always talks about garage sales are still his number one fun thing to do. So you moved into the finance industry um, and you have your own business in that space now. Do you want to share a little bit about that and, and why finance? Well, I always had a, a, a head for numbers, you know, so numbers were my thing. So not, not maths, just financial numbers. So I was pretty hopeless at maths, but, you know, understanding how to make a dollar was almost a, a gift. I remember searching spiritually, you know, trying to figure out what my, uh, my gift in life was and, and, and the words I received was, were, were you good at making money? So, you know, I've, I've always been good at the hustle at, at making money. So, you know, I feel it is a gift that I've been given to be able to work the financial numbers and work the financial mass and, and um, you know, to, to, to a greater purpose. But it was probably didn't really kick in until I was in the Northern Territory. I'd gone into business uh, with a guy a little bit older than me. We'd, we'd bought out this business from a liquidator and we were doing quite well. So my mindset really went to we're charging so much an hour, we're making so much per hour, reducing costs, increasing profit margins. And I think it became a disease. And all of a sudden I got into understanding the stock market a little bit more. And uh, in particular derivatives uh, is really grabbed my attention. And I've, I've got a bit of a brain that can calculate out complex derivatives quite simply in my head. But if you give me an algebra question, I wouldn't have a clue about it to answer. So it was just that the way, you know, your brain was shaped. And I, and I kind of started studying. I was in the Northern Territory and I just started buying books from the ASX bookshop that were mailed up to Catherine in the Northern Territory where I was living. And I just self-teach myself how to, to do these things. So it was really sparking. And when I did come back to, to Melbourne and, and sign up for accounting at night school, I really knew that that's what I wanted, you know, accounting, finance, tax. I was already loving it and learning it. And, and then to go on and do the qualification. I was lucky too that, that one of the teachers we had at uh, night school who, who did us for tax, uh, the final class, he could see that I had a fair old passion for it as well. And he said, keep in contact, Steve. I'm thinking about retiring. So about two years after I finished, he, he rang me back. Well, I, I think I rang him or he rang me, one of the two, and uh, sold me his fees. Which, which got me straight into, you know, having my own business within, uh, yeah, I think two years of actually starting in the profession and then just grew from there. Yeah, and it's interesting, I always talked about it, was probably one of my core teachings is really if you can find your passion, and uh, we did talk a little bit about this on your show, you, you, you just... I guess you you don't you don't use words like hump day and I oh know it's work again tomorrow and I can't wait to Friday. You just every day is the same. Is that sort of what you would say around that topic? Yeah, it is. Look, I, I love working. You know, I do not envisage a period in my life where I'll ever retire. In fact, I think I'll be there in my nineties in the nursing home or ever negotiating deals. You know, to 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 get new cleaners in or something like that. I think that's that entrepreneurial bug that's that's in your system. 
and a, and a work ethic that's that's natural to a degree. So I, I never consider everything, anything or anything I do is, is work. My, my forestry and, and cattle and farming industries, well, I go up there and I can string a fence line or get the chainsaw out. It, it's, it's relaxation, it's not work. And, and running an accounting practice, sort of when you're at my level, you're not doing any accounting or tax anymore. You've got you know, team members that do that. It's helping people. You sit there helping people to get the best out of their, their numbers, to get the best out of their finances, and, and to help them make life decisions too in relation to what they should be doing and how they should be investing and, and where they're going to end up with it all. Yeah, and it's uh, we, are, we are, I guess, moving into uh, a core topic here that I haven't discussed much, but always when I get an expert in their niche on the show, I always like to dive into their superpower. Um, and there are people that would be, at the moment on this podcast that they are looking to do their first side hustle, their first business. Um, they might be in business, but they're a little bit lost without a compass. What are some of the uh, things that people need to consider around accounting in relation to structures and protection and and so on. What's what's some advice you would give them? Yeah, oh, you've you've got you've got a lot to consider there. Okay, so from a point of view of structuring, but I think you've got to take a holistic picture, and I think that's that's the way I, I do my own mind and advice as well. You start at the end. You go, what does what does the end like? And just to use my life as an example. Yeah, you know, semi-retirement will be running around the farms and, and, and doing all those sorts of things. So you go, okay, well, then I've got to structure my, my investment, my business, my career, my superannuation funds towards the end of the life. So the first farm I bought you know, 13 years ago, I think, uh, maybe a little bit longer, I bought it with my superannuation funds because I knew that I'm going to retire and I want to go to the farms. So why not use your superannuation? And that, that theme continued. I started to use more and more of my superannuation. You can borrow in superannuation as well to leverage up the, the farm holdings. Because for me, I look at it and I go, not risk, because it's what I want to do. Why am I investing in something I don't believe in and uh, or don't know what's going on in? I want to take that risk out and invest in things that I know are going to be for the, for the rest of my life. So you've got to look at that and you go, well, how do I structure that? Well, <clears throat> the obvious one for retirement and retirement assets is to look at you know a super fund, self-managed super fund to, to purchase those assets. You go, well, that's great. We've got an asset in there. You've probably got borrowings. How are you going to fund it? So then you, you're sort of working backwards from the end there. You go, well, I need to pay, I need to lease those properties or factories or shop fronts, whatever it might be, from myself. So you've got a secure tenant. So my farm is then lent back to me, and then I'm the farmer in business myself. So you've got tax efficiency driving the whole process. You're reducing risk by investing in things that are part of your life, the direction you're going in. And I think this is the biggest tip for people that, you know, you've got to know your end game. If you don't know what that looks like, you don't know what you're doing. You've got to understand what 60 to 90 looks like. Mm. And if you know what 60 to 90 looks like, then you start investing your structure and your, your risk and, and everything in that direction. And tax is the biggest driver. Mm. Think about it. I buy a farm. I rent it to myself. My super fund pays tax at 15 cents in a dollar. I might get a 50 cents in a dollar tax deduction. So all of a sudden you're getting a 35% um, tax arbitrage, but for nothing. I'm just renting my super fund asset back to myself, an asset that I would have bought myself. So that tax efficiency is allowing you to pay those assets off quicker because you've got more capital to reduce your debt faster and you're able to retire quicker or whatever it might be. So tax is a big driver of the past. So you've got risk. 
for the farms in the super fund. As a professional, for some reason, something happens, I lose all my assets, you can't touch the super fund. Okay, so the super fund is safe because it's there for retirement. So I think there's a whole lot you've got to consider, but no one should be investing, no one should be in business without actually knowing what their end game is and what structures you're going to need to get there. Okay, so you've got all the basic stuff, like go into business yourself, okay? Get an ABM, fine, anyone can do that online. But the next thing you have to consider is risk. You know, this activity I'm doing, what, 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 what risks are involved here? You know, if, you, if you're creating a food product and someone gets sick or dies or has an allergy or whatever it might be, you've got an enormous amount of risk mm. and you've got personal assets at risk, whether you're an accountant, whether you're an advisor, whatever it might be, you've got to make sure you've got your, your activity under control and, and that's risk and separation risk. The reason I say that is you've got to have more than one structure. You've got to, you've got to think of the end, but you've got to think of the journey on how you get there. Is it, I hope that's making sense. Yeah, it does. And it is a, it's a complicated web. And I remember my brother started his, oh, he went into business into a restaurant um, with his wife at the time. And I just asked him some basic questions around structure and, you know, you have a house and, and so on here. And, you know, he just, he was just going to a basic, you know, 101 accountant, um, which, you know, did just give him a, you know, an ABN as a set up as a sole trader. And I said, no, you need to look at everything and, and risk is a massive thing. And, and in the end, they got out of that business, um, luckily without major, major calamity. But if they didn't have the right structures that could have been quite a, a dangerous scenario so yeah and look i really do think the sole traders fought with risk you know i, I generally you know there's risk in everything and anything you do mm. now it can be you know you might just be a plumber and uh yeah you've got your insurances and, and all those sorts of things but it might be something that one of your boys does or it's negligent or it's criminal or you know some, or it's just someone some insurance company decides they want to sue you for, for whatever mm. well you know sole trader they're coming after you and they're coming after your assets as well mm. so for the sake of a thousand bucks you, you set up a proprietary with a company and it just gives you that extra level of protection mm. so sole, sole trader it's just there are benefits to it. it it is simpler and you know superannuation and work cover and all those sort of things are, are a little bit easier as well but you've got to look at that risk versus return you know if something goes wrong and it might not be your fault. It might be one of your suppliers. It might be one of your customers or whatever it might be that falls over and it becomes a chain. And you don't want to be that person on that chain who's, uh, you know, falling down that's got the assets because whoever's doing the liquidation looks for the person who's got the assets. And if, if that's you, they're coming after you. Mm. And there are a number of different structures, and we won't break them all down, but there is, you know, you've got family trusts, you've got unit trusts, you've got companies, you've got discretionary trusts, you can invest in self-managed super fund. Um, can you just try and uh, summarise them in, you know, layman's terms so people sort of I'll get a bit of an understanding? Term. I'll use it fairly quickly too. So, look, we started with sole trader. That's right down the bottom. Very simple. Now, if you've got simple, risk-free affairs, then that's the way to go. Okay, but it's very rare that I'd ever recommend sole trader, and it almost have to be a, a hobby business. With, you know, you're just selling something or something. I don't know, something very simple that's not going to hurt anyone. You know, and then the next step you go to, you go to a private company. Well, a private company, it's not you anymore. It's the private company that exists that's taking all the risk. 
well, they're cheap and simple to set up, about a thousand bucks to, to get you going and keeping the business. And then add a few hundred bucks a year in government fees to keep it going and a little bit more to your accountant. But it's cheap. It's cheap when things go wrong. You've got other structures like family trusts, which you know will give you a level of protection again because it's a, a separate entity again, but it will give you the ability to distribute profit amongst family groups. So it's quite a good one that you know if you've got a family group and uh, you know someone's getting paid a, a wage of eighty thousand dollars to run the business and there's another hundred thousand dollars worth of profit in the business, you want to split that out amongst lower taxed uh, beneficiaries. And generally, whenever there's a family group, you'll always hear the word family trust in there somewhere or family discretionary trust. And that just sits in there from the point of view of being the actual sole business, which, you know, the family trust is actually running the business itself with a company acting as a trustee. Or you can flip the model over where the company's out there doing business, which is the model I prefer, and the shareholder is a family trust. So you can pay the dividends out and down to the beneficiaries that way. Franking credit rules might change in the coming uh, years uh, with uh, government tax problems, uh, lack of tax revenue coming in problems. So but for the moment, I prefer that structure. A unit trust is when you, you're generally moving into an asset or a business where not everyone is part of the family group. Okay, so if you want to own a, an asset in a, in a group of people uh, that aren't related, you, you would potentially put a unit trust in there. And uh, they're probably your basic structures. Self-managed super fund, we spoke about the stuff. It's retirement, you can't get to your 60 for, for most people. Mm. But they're all good. And you should have um, you know, different assets in different types of structures. Mm. You should have high risk assets in high risk structures. And you should have safe assets in safe structures. So there's no crossover. So if a business goes broke, for whatever reason, your, your building or your equipment is in another structure that can't be touched. This goes broke, but this survives. Yeah, yeah, and it is, as you said, there's a lot of people that maybe just at that starting point, the most important thing is to get the pros involved because once you go down a rabbit hole, it's pretty hard to change. Like you could buy a property, for example, in the wrong structure and set up and it costs you dearly. So, you know, um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, very much so. Always good advice at the start. But look, it, it sounds like it's dark science, but it, it actually isn't. It, it's not that bad. You know, most accounts, you know, uh, look at it as, as a fairly structured. It's fairly vanilla to us. Mm. You know, I think you've got to make sure you've got a good accountant you can trust. You know, having a private company sounds complicated, but to an accountant, they're just bread and butter. It's what, what people do. So you have to speak to people that know what they're doing. You know, mm. make, make sure you've got an advisor that, you know, at least says, well, here's your option. You don't really want an advice that says, just do this. You want an advice that says, well, you know, you can use a company, but that's going to have a different capital gain effect. Because it sometimes differs too. You know, if you're looking at an asset that's going to have a quick accumulation in capital growth and sell it, well, then you don't want to do that in a private company. You want to do that in a trust or a partnership or something like that, mm. uh, because you can spread out your capital gain where it's trapped in a, in, a, in a company. So it comes down to many things, risk, tax, what the investment is, where it's going to go, who's involved. Mm. It isn't that hard. Yeah. But for most accounts, it's what we do. Yeah. And just, uh, it's, I guess it's a semi-accounting style question, but it's something that I see a real big problem. People living paycheck to paycheck, uh, their actual understanding of you know basic money um do you have any good tips for people if they wanted to start learning how to budget and how to save and anything around that 
Yes, uh, Excel spreadsheets always uh, the, the the way to go, I reckon. Uh, but look, it comes down to one of the best tips I've ever seen, and I used myself when I was uh, very low income coming into the accounting profession, was and a, and a family, was to have a bill account. Okay, so work out for the whole 12 months, and the way you do that is look at your credit card statements for the previous 12 months, what your essential bills are going to be, what your rates are going to be, what your rent's going to be, what your you know, power bills will usually be, and, and just create a bit of a budget and go, right, well, I'm going to need this year to survive uh, $32,000 to do, well, let's say $26,000 for the year. Well, then you, you need to be putting aside you know, $500 a week into a, a bank account that's going to be able to cover those bills as they come along. I always say put a 10% uplift on it. So, you know, make it $550 or $600 if you can. And that way, when things come in, you know the money's already there. Okay, you're not worrying about where you're going to get it from. You know that the money's already there aside to pay those bills. I think that's step 101. Have a bill account. Know what your fixed costs are going to be. And then you've got your second level, which is your discretionary spending. Well, you know how much money you've got to discretionary spend if you already know you've put enough away for the actual expenses. So the biggest trap people make is they go, oh, got all this money come in. There's $4,000 in my account. But then in the next two weeks, three big annual bills come in mm. and you've already spent it on a discretionary spend and it's gone. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with an Excel spreadsheet. All bank software will allow you to export to um, Excel, put it up there, assign everything at class, work out what your budget is going forward. There's plenty of online um, budgeting tools you can use, but bill account, then you know, you actually know what your discretionary spending limits are. Mm. And while we're talking a bit about this and dipping the toe into potentially a business, we did sort of have this conversation and crossover a little bit on your uh, Fearless Ticker TV show. Um, why, why would you recommend a side hustle or a part-time business, uh, something that, you know, you have your job and you've got your security, but this extra thing that gives you hope, like, do you want to elaborate a little bit around that? Yeah, well, as you do, I, you know, I looked, wrote the book two years ago on it because I could see this coming. I could see this day coming. You know, we are going to have unemployment at 11 to 13% you know, over the next year. So unemployment is, is going to be right. The employment model, I believe, in Australia is pieces, if not around the world. You know, there is less demand for, for people and there's less demand for wages. Australia has high risk and high regulations. Uh, not many people out there wanting to employ people. Uh, just an example in the accounting industry, you know, it might cost us on average about $70,000 a year to employ a good accountant. We're all working from home now. And uh, you sit there going, well, actually, $22,000 gets me one in, in the Philippines. and They're working from home too. So you're going to see a lot of pressure come on to the, to the wages model in Australia because we're learning how to do everything online. So you're questioning, well, why do I have, you know, staff online? So I, I believe, and I don't want to take from hope, I want to add to hope, yeah, but I'm trying to speak a little bit of tough love here, that the employment model going into the future, we've seen it in the past few years, there's been no wage increases unless you're a public servant or a politician, of course. Everyone else is suffering. We're now going to have unemployment that you sit there and go, well, there's no, no safety and security. I call it, especially people in their sort of 40s and, you know, and beyond, or even late 30s, call it Generation X with an X on their back. The accountants, the chief financial officers are looking at your wage, looking at your salary and going, we can't afford it. 
we need to offshore it or we need to bring someone younger in. So your security and employment shop. So then I'm encouraging everyone, I'm saying, well, that's actually a good idea. It's a good thing. Let's embrace it. You know, why not start businesses? Now, if the book, The Man with a Plan, that I've written, it just talks about what sort of business should you start. Well, I believe every business should be hooked around success, of course, and I believe success is the intersection of talents driven by purpose. And the examples I use there are Steve Jobs, great at nothing, absolutely great at nothing. But good at computers, good at design, driven by a purpose to change the world, and he did with Apple. Fred Hollow's the eye surgeon, again, by all accounts, he was just an average eye surgeon. He wasn't anything special. He's an eye surgeon, he is special. But um, he had a heart for charity. So he created the two talents, that, and created the Fred Hollows Foundation. He's been dead for 10 years, but it keeps getting bigger every year and it's still saving sight in the third world. So we are all unique and you don't have to be great at anything. You just gotta be good at something. So remind people, you've gotta find those things you're good at. So the process I run through is I say, well, list the top six things that you're good at doing. The list you should put together with someone else, not on your own, our people who know you, your mum, your partner, whoever it might be, because there's things that you're good at that you don't necessarily see yourself. So once you've actually got a list of the top half a dozen things you're really good at, you reorder that list in order of passion, what I like to do most. So there's some things we're good at, but we don't really like doing them. And there's other things that we're good at, and we really do like doing them. Well, your business success will come from the top two or three items that you're good at and you like to do. And if you start to look for unique intersection like Steve Jobs and like Fred Hollows did, then you'll become a unique success. And then you'll be, yeah, like we were saying earlier, you never feel like you're working. When you're on purpose, when you're doing those things you like to do and you're good at, that you have a gift in, doesn't matter how good you are at it, then you put two things together, you, you, you'll create success. Mm, good, very good point. And um, on that, even from a tax perspective, if you've started a hustle up at home, you know, all of a sudden you might be, a, you know, a, a good salary income earner with a side hustle and all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's benefits of running a business as well. Um, do you see that as a growing um, way to uh, be tax effective? Yeah, very much so. So, look, you know, obviously being, you know, I'll use one of my favourite sayings is there's nothing happier than a tax deductible life. So it's just about everything in my life, uh, except for Iron Man, it was the only thing I couldn't figure out. Everything I do in life is tax deductible. You know, so every interest that I'm involved in is involved around work. So everything I do, whether it be down the farm, uh, whether it be at work, everything I love to do for fun is pretty much hooked into what I do for a living. So everything is tax deductible. So you make your, your hobby um, an income, then you know you, your income grows and you have far more tax efficiency around that, especially once it grows to a point we need to put in some tax structures around it. You'll be on a far lower tax rate than an employee would be. Left, then you just keep leveraging the advantages from there. So mm. nothing happier than a tax deductible life, right? Yeah, and there's always a way too, because sometimes passion may not be, you may in your own mind go, I really, really love to do 
travel around the world, for example, but that's just expense, expense, expense. If you start thinking outside the box too, you can always find ways to monetize things and be resourceful and it could be doing a joint venture with someone. If it is travel, it might be, um, there's a lady that works for me, she travels to exotic locations and does social media marketing for the locations and they pay her to do that and that's a way for her to travel. Like There is ways to um, monetize your passion. Do you agree with that? Yeah, very much so. Um, look, uh, one example I use in the book is third world country, price parity, obviously lower wages there, you know, and, and from a point of view of, of getting things manufactured in a country you like travelling to and then importing them back into Australia and selling them at a higher margin to a higher price parity, which we have in Australia. We're a high expensive country. Uh, all of a sudden your travel between your business operations in a country you like to go to completely tax deductible. So if you're going somewhere regularly, if you have a heart for India or if you have a heart for, for wherever, then travel to that country becomes part of your enterprise and it's all tax deductible. Mm. And just, um, I guess, one more question around, um, you know, your... Uh, got businesses, investments, um, you know, very entrepreneurial. Do you want to just talk a little bit about how Ticker TV started? And for those that don't know what that is, just explain a little bit more about it. Yeah, we're very lucky. Ticker TV, I was one of the lucky ones. I was one of the very first guests on the show and got offered a, a hosting role and I'm still there. So Aaron Young is the CEO of Ticker TV. Uh, he comes from Sky Business, uh, been a, a TV anchor for a, a very long period of time. He can see the writing on the wall in the TV industry and uh, took a, a payout about uh, 18 months ago to, to come out of it. He was working probably 70, 80 hours a week, traveling all over the world, Afghanistan, New Zealand, everywhere doing these stories as a news anchor. And, uh, and income was not commensurate with effort. And, it, and it's worse, you know, literally there is no money in media at the moment. So if you're there, you're probably getting paid $50,000 a year and working 80, 90 hours a week. And, you know, unless you're in that top 0.1% of a percent of media, you're probably not getting paid much at all. And it, it's only going to get worse. You know, the, the advertising revenue is just falling away. So he saw the writing on the wall and flipped the model around. So he created his own TV network, which has only been going uh, 12 months this week, but it's growing. It's growing in leaps and bounds uh, because he's just focused on one thing, you know, the, the user, the end user. There is no advertising. Uh, people come on and sponsor the shows. So companies come on and and sponsor all the different shows. So the TV network's been kept alive by sponsorship. And guests who come on regularly, um, it's high-quality TV, as, as you know, you've seen it. Uh, they will often pay for their clips. So they've got two streams of revenue. You've got guests come on as a, a special expert in something, and there's dozens of those a day, and then they'll want their clip. So they'll produce it up into a neat little package and, and push it around for a fee. The shows are sponsored, and we're not reliant on any advertiser at all. So it's, it's the new future. So he, he was smart enough to see that the world is going to change. Media is becoming a very cheap commodity. Then how do you make it work? Well, he's flipped it over and said, well, instead of making it work for the advertising market, let's make it work for the, the sponsors and let's make it work for the businesses involved. Mm. Yeah, now very interesting model. I have seen it for for probably the 12 months and, um, yeah, looked into it. And then a, a common friend of ours introduced us and yeah i was fortunate enough to be on your show last week so very very good experience so just on your book so just to finish that too it needed it needed an hour and young 
you know, if you're going to come through and create new industry in a new way, it needs someone who can think outside the box. You know, I call him the missing link because, you know, a lot of people have tried and, and rapidly failed, but he had the ability to be the host, to be the anchor, to be the IT guy, to be the audio visual guy, to do absolutely everything and then slowly build people up around him. Well, not slow. Um, it's been rapid. There's about 15 people working there now all within a year. So he was the missing link. It needed someone special like him and, and that's, that's what's going to create future change in the industry. Mm. And just um, a last bit about that. It's all entrepreneurial shows, but there's news, there's sport, there's what, what's the other varieties that may be on, the, on that show? No, it's mainly all hooked around business, business startup. Um, you know, I'm probably one of the very few entertainment shows, although I haven't probably got a classification fearless, overcoming fear. Uh, it's probably a business one. So we've got, we've got sport, but it, it's mainly news. So you've got news which runs every half hour, and then you've got a lifestyle show or an entertainment show or a business show or something that's uh, on every other half hour as well. Leadership. And before we head into the last uh, part of the show, um, you've uh, published three books. You have talked a little bit about your books. Do you want to just quickly overview uh, what each book is about? Yeah, well, the first one I wrote was quite a while ago. It was um, tax efficient, uh, tax effective investment. And uh, yeah, that's my, what we've been talking about today. That's my passion to make sure everything's structured tax efficiently. Uh, second one was financial distraction, uh, which is a play on the words that most people think about money. Nearly everyone thinks about it because it does affect us, but most people don't put things in order. And it, it's a, it is a distraction. It's a huge um, distraction to have money problems. And it's not that hard. Sit down with someone that knows how to cut a straight line through it and get rid of that distraction in your life and your quality of life will soon uh, increase and uh, you'll find that your, your strategies and your investments will be a lot better. The Man With A Plan, which is the latest one, that's the, the one that's come from the heart. That's the one that saw the trouble coming, the one knew, knew that the employment model was breaking down rapidly in Australia. And sadly, it was only looking for something to, to come along. COVID was the, the trigger that has changed business in Australia forever, has changed employment in Australia forever. It is going to be tougher out there. But I actually think it's an enormous opportunity. I reckon it's the best opportunity. It's something we needed. You know, Australia's productivity has been falling since the 80s. You know, we've been borrowing to, to fund our lifestyle gap. Uh, it can't go on forever. The model had to break. So it started to break down now. It's never going to be the same again, but it'll be better in my view. And I reckon the only way out of it, the only way for people to really cover where the previous generations have had it easy to a degree just buy real estate and get rich or put money into superannuation well there's not going to be any real earnings in superannuation in the in the next five years you think about all those commercial properties that are in those super funds you think about dividends drying up no you're not going to get rich in your superannuation returns now the real estate market well if you have high unemployment and a dwindling population it's not going to go up either where can you accelerate yourself and is it's in business it's invest in yourself. You can build up a business. You can build up a business worth $2 million and sell it and pay absolutely no tax. You know, it is the fastest way to accelerate your wealth is in business. To own your, to own your shop front, to own your garage, to own your, your shed or whatever it is is part of it. You know, the tax efficiency of, of leasing it back to yourself and structuring it correctly through family trusts or super funds or whatever it might be, these things rapidly accelerate... <coughs> your effort or your reward for your effort 
The old model's dead. The sooner we, we the sooner we look at the old model and go, it's finished. That was for past generations, and look at the future and go, it's for entrepreneurs. It is going to be the only way to really sustain security and income, and leveraging wealth into retirement and beyond. Mm. Very interesting conversation. Um, at the end of every episode, we always ask a few rapid-fire questions that never have rapid-fire answers. But apart from your own books, is there a book that uh, people should read if they're looking to get ahead in life? Yeah, well, rapid-fire means we haven't had a chance to, 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 to think about them <laughs> at all. Um, I'm trying to think of any business book uh, to, to keep it relatable. I think Dale Carnegie's... Uh, original books from the, the 30s and the 40s, How to Win Friends and Influence People, pivotal. But my favourite one he ever wrote is called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Uh, I'm a chaplain as well as, as part of my uh, my activities. And uh, I feel this is obviously my show. It's a passion one. But he, he gave a three-step process that I, I've learned to live by over the last 20 years. It's how to get over worry, how to get over fear, how to get over anything into life is to step one, think about the problem, think about the worst possible outcome that can happen from that problem, accept it. That's it. That's the worst possible thing that can happen. And the third step is you work to improve it. And that makes you a winner every single time. You never lose. You think about the worst possible outcome. You think about it from a point of view that, okay, well, that's not so bad. I can deal with that. My mum will still love me or whatever it might be. Then you work hard to improve that outcome and it will make you a winner every single time. So I think that was probably one book that changed my life. It really sharpened my thinking to go, well, there's no loss. There's, there's only learning and go from there. And obviously a man of faith and I'm a big Bible reader as well. So the, those sort of books um, from, a, from a business point of view, there's also a great book from a relationship point of view. If you're struggling with those, it changed my life. It was a book by Jennifer Granger called Feminine Loss. I went through a divorce and uh, a period of dating for a while there. My number, the only thing I've ever been number one at, I was number one on RSVP. I was the most downloaded male in Australia there for a while. And I just couldn't get relationships right. I was just getting them wrong all the time. And it was uh, that book that changed my thinking that we have to be matched uh, from a point of view of the, the type of people we are. And, but more importantly, it sort of showed that mismatches between male and females, why it won't work. But it's a very insightful book as well, Feminine Loss. Cool. And what about the best bit of advice you've ever received? Very first bit of advice. There's been plenty over the journey, but the one that really sticks and is probably pivotal for these times as well is when I first got into accounting in 1996, there was a bit of a share market crash. And a lot of the uh, investors were ringing up the senior partner at the time going, I've lost so much money. I've lost so much money. I've lost so much money. And his second question was always, well, have you sold them? And he'd go, and the answer would be no. We go, well, you've lost nothing. Don't bother me. Mm-hmm. And and I've, I've seen the passage of time correct things over and over and over again. People are highly leveraged. Okay, when things go wrong, they go bust. And it happens over and over again. But if you keep your leverage to within a reasonable limit, then if things go belly up, then you have a chance to recover. If you're in speculative assets, they might not recover. But if you're in fairly, you know, diversified, you know, reasonable quality assets, they'll always bounce. And my outlook on that is, well, if they don't bounce, the whole world's probably gone belly up and nothing mattered at that point anyway. Mm. So, you know, that's that's probably my biggest lesson was to always stay in the game. Mm. And if you're in the game, 
you haven't lost. You're still there. Yeah. And what about the worst bit of advice you've ever received? Could be don't sell. <laughs> uh, no, no. Worst bit of advice, I'd probably have to think about that because I've had a lot of lousy advice um, over the journey. But I think in, in hindsight, the worst bit of advice is, you know, be conservative. And I think I say that because, yeah, you, there's a lot of pressure on you and you've experienced it in your own life too. You've got a safe job as an engineer, stick at it, you know, just, just stay there and buy a house and build up some retirement funds and you're okay. But you miss out. You miss out on the adventure of life. Now, I'm not fussed on whether I make money or lose money, but what I am fussed on is I don't want to miss the adventure. I'm, I'm, I'm here for, 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 you know, to, to partake. I don't want to sit on the sideline. So being too conservative and not doing things or holding back you know, risk is good, risk is healthy, but it's got to be measured risk, of course. But don't be too conservative. So I think that'd be the worst advice, people who encourage you not to try to, to not do anything because you'll be at that nursing home one day and you go, why didn't I? I should have had a go. Yeah. And that's just life regret and you don't want it. And what about um, where do people find you? Um, uh, other than Ticker TV, uh, Fearless Show, um, yeah. Well, handy having a name like Schultz or a name like Anticot, um, <laughs> E-N-T-I-C-O-T-T. Um, there's only one who's very active on social media and media, and that's me. So if you Google up Stephen Anticot, you'll, you'll find all my uh, my access there. But just, just to finish off, I had I wrote a couple of notes, if I can grab one more minute off you. Just thinking yeah. about this interview, you know, at the moment, we've got opportunity. You know, we've got enormous opportunity. We've got an old world model that's being ripped up and it's being replaced by a new world model. But a lot of us are, are sitting there looking at this brick wall. We're looking at this brick wall in front of us and we can't actually see the opportunity on the other side and we're just staring at the brick wall. You have three or four different types of people that I was thinking about. Some people are quite talented. Well, they find a way to climb up and, and over and they'll get over the wall and get to the other side. You get other people who are just angry little buggers and they'll just purse their way through the, the wall no matter, no matter what's in their way. And you've got another, another group of people that will just, you know, with effort and strength, they'll just pick up the wall and, and, and get to the other side. Well, I'm trying to give everyone a bit of a sneak, sneak peek that there is enormous opportunity on the other side. And it's just mindset that gets you through that wall. You have to adopt that mindset to go, there's a big brick wall in front of me. There is something on the other side. What am I going to do? What am I going to utilise? What talents have I got? What things am I good at to help me get through that wall? And the biggest thing I've learned is to never do it alone. You can go a long way on your own, but you can go a lot further as a team. And that, that statement is so true. So when you're trying to see that opportunity on the other side, network with people who have done it. Don't waste time with people who haven't done anything in the past. Speak to people that have done things and you'll soon find a way through it and embrace the new mindset. It is a marvellous opportunity. The post-COVID world is a marvellous opportunity. I can't wait for it to get there, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, yeah, team up and, and get through it. Yeah, and, and it is it is often people do look at uh, the glass half empty in the scenario. And for me, I'm typically 20 weeks a year travelling around the world. So I'm like, what do I do with those 20 weeks? And I've just repurposed the hours and created projects that I never had on my agenda at the start of the year, but I built myself a, an e-commerce course. I've uh, fast-tracked my book. I only had plans to interview one person a week and be 10 episodes ahead. I've got 
50 now booked up interviews because I'm doing five to ten interviews a week. So it's, you know, you've just got to uh, find a way. And um, if you can find a way, you know, you'll be one of those needles in the haystack. Hmm. Well, look, I'm probably lucky I got on your show with all those uh, interviews booked up. So uh, I appreciate that. But look, it is a mindset. And, and the moment you flip it over, and if you're struggling to flip it over, then there's people you can reach out to. Send Craig an email, send me an email. We, we, we loved about them. Little saying I carry around on me all the time to elevate yourself, to elevate others. So I'm always looking at trying to help people, you know, move on. If anyone wants to email me a one page business plan, I'm always happy to have a look at it and give you my feedback. No, no fees involved, just because I want to see, see people do well. And I'm sure Craig's the same as well. You team up with people that have done it all before. That, that's the key. If you've got a business idea that you think is a good idea, shoot it around to someone, let them put their touches on it, and then go out and put some hard work in and you've got a new future. So, yeah, get excited. I'm excited. I know you are too. And for me, uh, Dr. Steve, uh, thank you for jumping on the show. It was very insightful and a, a conversation that probably haven't really had in, in particular around the, the uh, tax and accounting uh, information. But uh, overall, just, you know, your journey's been an inspiration for many. Um, you know, I'm sure there's times that you've thought maybe that this is too hard and it's, you know, need to give up, but, you know, you've fought through and you've done incredibly well and um, keep up the good work yeah and I think that's a good point to finish on too you know life is never straight your emotions are never straight you know it's a wave and uh, you know no one is ever up all the time I spend a lot of time on the downs you know we all do but it, it's it's not how long it's not the down your downs part of life it's what you do when you get down so, so my only talent really is I go down really quick and I go down really deep you know, tend to bounce really quick as well. So never try to think that this is easy. You know, it, it's never a smooth line. It's a wave of emotions when you, when, you, when you push out and you push on. But it's just having those people around you that pat you on the back and say, yep, you're all right, keep moving. And, um, and that's what we do in triathlon. You know, at the end of an Ironman race, it's pretty ugly, you know, especially at the back end of the field like me. It's just, you know, pat people on the bum and go, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And before you know it, the kilometres drop away and you're at the finish line. So it's never a flat line. It's a wavy line. But that's that's the fun. You don't know what the downhill's like if you don't climb the uphill. Mm. And on that note, thanks, uh, Dr. Steve. Thank you, Craig. Privilege. Well, I hope you got a lot of value out of that uh, conversation with Dr. Steve. Uh, quite an interesting journey, as he said, left home 13, been in business, worked it out himself. Uh, he provided a lot of insights around accounting and tax and structures and why they're so important to understand. So I hope you got a lot of value out of that episode, in particular, if you're looking to start your own business or side project and there's a lot of mindset stuff in there too so make sure if you like this episode you give us a review you um, share it with your friends on your social media or anyone that you think could get value make sure that you share that with them as that helps us get more high quality guests on the show if you haven't had a, got a copy of my book you've got one shot make sure you head across to craigschultz.com and get your copy there have a little tour around the website there's a lot of high quality blog posts go up on there and just value to give back in that space as well as i say at the end of every episode 
dude. You've got one shot at life. Go out there and give it your best shot, whatever that is for you. Live life with passion and purpose. My name's Craig Schultz and I'm the host of the One Shot Movement podcast.